This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Chapter 23. Sharp Scissors Sheared It was several days later when Richard came upon Thorn, dragging a small hair trunk out of the back hall closet. He had been out in the fields all day and his boots were marred with spring mud so that he entered the house through the kitchen and went straight to the back closet for dry shoes. There he found Thorn shoving and pushing at the trunk. What on earth are you doing, Cricket? I thought it would be easier to pack this if I pushed it out into the hall. Who's packing it? I am. Who for? Myself. I'm going to boarding school. Richard put an end to the trunk moving by sitting down on the trunk. Who said you were going to boarding school? I said it. Thorn blew the dust off her hands with remarkable coolness, but she avoided Richard's eyes. I've thought it over, and I've decided that that's what I want to do. Oh, you've thought it over, have you? And who helped you think it over? There was no reply to this. Thorne had stooped to examine a pile of old copybooks that lay upon the floor. What put the idea of going to boarding school in your head? Well, you know, I have never liked Timberley School. I've had no head for numbers. She was sitting on the floor now, her lap piled full of copybooks. Look at me, Thorn. She was too busy searching for a clean book among the cast-offs to lift her eyes. I thought I might keep a diary. She explained. Don't change the subject. Do you really want to go away? Do you think you'll be happier at boarding school than at home? She looked at him, then seriously. Do you think anyone in this house has been really happy lately? He said, You're going away because you've got a silly notion it's the way to prove your innocence about these things that have been frightening Judith. I think I know who gave you the idea. Thorne said carefully, as though striving for perfect fairness. Judith has always been a friend to me, Richard. We must remember that. Unconsciously, she allied herself and Richard against the woman of whom they were speaking. Listen, Cricket. Your running away won't prove anything. It is quite conceivable that with you away, nothing would happen to disturb her. Have you forgotten how she never saw the bricks when you could account for your whereabouts? Whoever or whatever is doing this, I still believe the motive is to drive you from home. You mean Abigail? I don't know. I honestly don't know. But there are people, living people, who have never liked you, Thorn. Take Otis Hughes. He's always been unfair to you because he doesn't like me. You see, he expected to marry his cousin, Abigail, before I came along. He'd stop at nothing to hurt me, even the persecution of an innocent... Remembering his last talk with the hostile attorney, Richard's voice failed. I don't see how Mr. Hughes could have played these tricks, said Thorne. He hasn't even been around here except for that one time. I don't mean that I think he's the culprit. Richard frowned. He dared not put into words his fear regarding Otis Hughes. I'm just trying to show you that running away will be taken as an admission of guilt by those who would like to prove you guilty. They argued this point, pro and con. Thorne said finally, Maybe you're right. I hadn't looked at it that way before. Certainly I'm right. 
so let's hear no more about going off to school. I can teach you college English here at home. Satisfied that he had settled the question, Richard changed to dry shoes and went in search of his wife. He was thoroughly out of temper with what he considered female duplicity in going behind his back to engineer a course upon which he had emphatically set his veto less than a week ago. He found the woman in the dining room, Judith and his mother, and Henry Shook's wife, who had come on an errand. They were trying out the new sewing machine, which Martha Shook had not yet seen. How much thread do you suppose it'll use in a year, Miss Anne? If you don't do any sewing, it won't use any thread, said Anne Tomlinson dryly. Then seeing her son glowering from the doorway, she asked quickly, What's wanted, Richard? He said bluntly, I'd like to speak to you and Judith alone, Mother. This curt speech, so lacking in his usual courtesy, was the signal for Mrs. Shook's precipitate departure and subsequent report to her husband that Richard Tomlinson was a changed man, and no doubt the Timberley witch was at him again. Which gossip was in general circulation within 48 hours. Richard began. Judith, why did you put Thorn in the notion of going away to boarding school? And without waiting for a reply... Mother, did you know of these plans? Why, yes, Richard. We've been working for three days getting her ready to go. I thought you knew. How could I know? No one told me. How do I know what you women are doing when I'm out of the house? He looked sternly at his wife. Judith met his gaze steadily. I've seen very little of you, Richard, since you moved downstairs. You've seen me at mealtimes. There are always so many things under discussion, then. Trivial matters slip my mind. Do you call Thorn leaving home a trivial matter? She dropped her eyes to the petticoat she was hemming. He turned again to his mother. Surely you, mother, could have found an opportunity to tell me what was going on. Well, son, you were in Woodridge the day we talked it over. Who talked it over? Judith and I, and Will. Will? Richard reddened angrily. What business is it of Will's? Miss Anne took off her spectacles, which she wore on the end of her nose so that she could see over them. What she was about to say troubled her, not for its import, but for the effect it would have upon her son. She knew that it would make him very angry, and that was what troubled her. For it was news which Richard should welcome, if he had only Thorne's welfare at heart. Your brother Will... She said, and looked at Richard as though the two of them were alone. Is going to be Thorne's husband one of these days? If a charge of powder had exploded at his feet, he could not have been more stunned. He looked at his mother like a man out of whom all sense had been knocked. Then he muttered, What are you talking about? She's not old enough to... Not now, but Will is satisfied to wait. He's also willing for her to have a year at boarding school. It's what she needs to help her finish growing up. It will give her a polish, like Judith's. Something within him cried. I don't want her to have a polish like Judith's. But he could not speak. He was stricken dumb. His mother went on. Thorne's age has always been uncertain. She says she will be 16 her next birthday. But it doesn't matter. In her position, the earlier she marries, the better. My mother married at 15 and was very happy. 
Miss Anne put her glasses back on her nose and picked up her work with a sigh of relief for having put a dreaded chore behind her. Richard still stood like a man turned to stone. All this had been discussed and decided behind his back. They had done this to Thorn, his cricket, as though it were something which did not concern him. But she's mine. She's always been mine. Nobody else cared anything about her except me. He was stammering like a schoolboy in his pain. She's a woman, my son. She's not a stray kitten you brought home in your pocket from the fair. She has a woman's life to live. That was the charge of power that had exploded in his brain. Thorn, with a woman's life to live, and his brother Will. I'm the head of this house. Why didn't Will come to me about this business? Because, said Anne Tomlinson, I'm Will's mother and the nearest thing to a mother that Thorne possesses. Neither of them are of age. And you gave your consent, mother, to anything as preposterous as her betrothal to young Will? I see nothing preposterous, said Anne with dignity. In any girl's betrothing herself to a Tomlinson, I was proud to do it, and both your wives, Richard, seemed glad of the opportunity. Judith lifted her eyes from her work and smiled agreement with her mother-in-law. If there's anything preposterous in this match, it is that a Tomlinson should be willing to take a wife who has no name except the one he will give her. Nay, Miss Anne spoke quickly before the gathering storm in Richard's eyes. That makes no difference to Will. He loves Thorn for herself, and I've no doubt she'll make him a good wife when she grows up a little. And what about her? Has anyone considered her happiness? Will is a hard-working boy. A much better farmer than you, my son. He'll always provide for her. As if happiness were compounded of those ingredients. I mean, has Thorn been consulted about this? Oh, yes. That's why she was willing to go away to school. A great light broke upon Richard. Here was the explanation of Thorn's desire to leave home. It had nothing to do with witch pranks. It was the urge to separate herself from young Will. A tremendous lightning of his heart was followed by a surge of wrath against his brother for forcing his attentions on a lonely child. Now he understood the purpose behind Will's kindness in taking Thorn to all the candy pulls and neighborhood frolics this winter. He, Richard, in his dumb complacency had never given it a thought. But who could tell what had gone on in the snug, close warmth of straw-filled sleighs and Thorn? Poor child, afraid to say anything about it. In his rage, Richard longed to lay hands on his brother. He heard his mother say, There's been a lot of unkind talk about Thorn, but it will all stop once she's the wife of a Tomlinson. That's what you've always wanted, isn't it, Richard? Oh, God, yes, but not this way. He said aloud, thickly, She's not going to boarding school. I just talked to her. She's changed her mind. That's what Will was hoping she'd do, said his mother. He went into the south bedroom to wash. Since the night of Doc Baird's visit, he had slept in the alcove and used the adjoining room for dressing. He was not afraid to sleep in the bed he had once shared with Abigail, but he preferred the one over the trundle. He could not have told why. The water in the porcelain picture was cold, but he never felt the chill. He was stripped to the waist and vigorously scrubbing when Judith knocked at the door. 
she had brought him a kettle of warm water from the kitchen. He paused in his ablutions and waited silently while she tempered the icy water in the bowl, then plunged his hands in to the grateful warmth of the heated suds without even a word of thanks. He hoped she would leave the room, but it seemed she had something to say. Don't you think, Richard, that you owe your mother an apology? There were times when the schoolteacher in Judith was still evident. He waited to dry his face on the towel she handed him, then he replied. I said nothing disrespectful to mother. I said what I thought about members of this family who have gone behind my back to make arrangements which they knew I would not approve. I suppose that includes me. His silence indicated that if the shoe were the right size, she was privileged to try it on. There was no reason why anyone should consider your approval necessary. Except that I had already stated my objections to Thorns going away to school. Oh, no, you had stated your objections to her going to Kentucky. Richard looked at his wife in helpless exasperation. The Machiavellian quality of her mind was almost frightening. Kentucky? Boarding school? What's the difference? I made it plain I didn't want her leaving home. That's what I told your mother. When? When I talked to her about this marriage to Will. Oh, it was you who broached the subject to mother. Yes. No doubt you also broached it to my brother. No, he came to me about it. He asked me to speak to Miss Anne. And why should he have picked you as a go-between? Because he knew I would be sympathetic. He was afraid he might have trouble with you and your mother. He knew I would help him. Since when have you and Will been such friends? We're not. It's just that our interests coincide. I've known for some time that Will was getting ideas about Thorn, and he knows nothing would please me better than to see her married. But why? Richard's anger found vent in the violent friction of the rough towel against his chest. Why all this rush to marry off a child who has hardly outgrown her dolls? Thorn doesn't love Will. She doesn't love anyone but... He stopped short in his furious toweling with a startled look. But you, Richard? That's what you were going to say, wasn't it? Judith's voice was deadly cold. Thorn doesn't love anyone but you, does she? He laid the towel on the washstand slowly and carefully, as though it were something which might break. He reached for his shirt and began putting it on, all without speaking a word. And you don't love anyone but Thorn, do you, Richard? No. It seemed the most amazing circumstance of his life that he had never realized this simple truth before. He buttoned his shirt and completed his toilet. Judith watched in silence as he combed his wet, curly hair. There was nothing for either of them to say. The thing which had been between them all along, unacknowledged by the woman, unsuspected by the man, lay out in the open at last. It was Richard who began to speak finally, as though striving to clarify for Judith something which only this moment had become clear to himself. I don't want you to misunderstand what I said just now. About Thorn, I mean. There was touching earnestness in his voice, almost humble appeal. His anger had quite gone. There's not a wicked thought or feeling in her heart, Judith. She's good and sweet. Her love for me is as pure as mine for my mother. 
And is your feeling for her on the same high spiritual plane? Asked Judith bitterly. Yesterday he would have answered without hesitation that it was. Now, since this business about his brother Will, he could answer nothing. How long have you felt this way about Thorne? How could he say? Always since that first day he saw her. At the fair. Then Abigail was right when she said Thorne was the cause of her ill health. Judith, please. He looked at her imploringly, but Judith went ruthlessly on. It was really Thorn then, who killed your first wife. If not by witchcraft, then by breaking her heart. It was Thorn, after all, who killed Abigail. She kept repeating this as though there were some unction for herself in the thought. Why did you marry me, Richard? Why didn't you wait a while and give your little peach time to mature? You needn't have waited long. She would have dropped in your hands at the first touch. Judith, don't talk like that. I tell you, I never thought of her that way. She was a child whom I loved as innocently as... As you loved your mother, I know. By the way, does she know? Who, my mother? No, stupid. The girl. Have you told her how you feel about her? He looked shocked and said... No. But almost instantly a curious look came into his eyes. Judith thought. He doesn't have to tell her. She knows. Judith, you won't let this make any difference, will you? Between you and me? He wasn't even thinking of that. That was all over anyway. In your attitude toward Thorne. She's innocent, Judith. She hasn't a thought that isn't a child's thought. I've seen her looking at you. Suddenly, Judith began to laugh softly, her whole body shaking with almost silent mirth. What are you laughing at, Judith? At myself? What a fool I've been. It was for this that I planned and schemed and groveled and lied. There was something frightening in her strange, unseemly laughter. It mounted hysterically. It was for this that I spent hour after hour in this sickening room with a whining invalid. It was for this that I... She stopped, as short as though a band had tightened about her throat cutting off her breath. Her hands went to her neck, plucking at the velvet ribbon, but her body still shook with soundless mirth. Judith, stop it. Richard took her by the shoulders and set her down in the low rocking chair. He did not like the look in her eyes. She had had that look a week ago when it had been necessary to summon the doctor. Sit still while I get your smelling salts. She looked at him mockingly. I'm not fainting, Richard, not this time. But he hurried away, alarmed and remorseful for what he had done. Judith sat very still in the rocking chair. It was the same chair in which she had once sat by Abigail's bedside. She could almost see the emaciated figure propped up in bed, cutting out quilt pieces with a pair of sharp shears. You think I'm crazy, but you'll see. The eerie voice was only a memory, but she could almost hear the clean, sharp sound of the scissors as they cut through the pieces of silk. She did hear it. She sat up, tense, alert, listening. (coughs) 
the sound of scissors cutting briskly through fabric was quite distinct. Cold seeped upward over Judith's body like the rising waters of an icy flood. This was the room in which she had seen the bricks fall. This was the room in which, only the week before, she herself had been seized in a weird attack. She started to rise and leave the room. She found she could not move from the chair. Cold sweat poured from her body. The sound of scissors was very sharp and brisk now. A voice called, Miss Anne, are you in there? And Thorne appeared in the open hall door. Oh, I thought Miss Anne was in here. She seemed disconcerted at sight of Judith. Judith looked at her in silence. What's the matter, Judith? Are you ill? Stop it! The words burst from Judith's stiff lips. Stop what? The scissors! What scissors? You know what scissors! Judith gripped the arms of her chair as though trying to rise. Make them stop that noise! Thorne stood very still, listening. I don't hear anything. To Judith, the sound of the scissors seemed amplified. She could hear them cut rapidly through a whole length of cloth, then pause, then start again. There was no one in sight but herself and Thorne. There were no scissors in sight at all. She cried. You're doing this. It's another of your tricks. But you can't frighten me to death as Abigail was frightened. Stop that noise before I scream for Richard. But I'm not doing anything, said Thorne. You're making that sound. I suppose ventriloquism is among your charlatan's talents, but you can't deceive me. You're dealing with an intelligent woman now, not a crazy fool. Richard came into the room with Judith's smelling bottle. He looked from one pale face to the other and asked, What's the matter? Judith pointed to Thorne and said, She's at it again, Richard. Thorne said, She says she hears scissors going. Do you hear anything? Richard listened, then shook his head. Mother may be sewing in the next room. Your mother is in the dining room. Richard opened the door connecting with the front room and looked inside. There was no one in sight. I don't hear a thing, he said. Judith's voice rose shrilly, accusing Thorne. Richard handed her the smelling bottle, but she thrust it aside. She continued to hear the scissors very clearly. She was beginning to locate the sound now. Fear lifted her from her chair. She went over to the oaken chest and put her ear to the keyhole. It's coming from in here, she cried. Richard drew his keys from his pocket, selecting with maddening deliberation the key to the chest. Judith snatched them impatiently from his hand. She unlocked the chest and raised the lid. Then she stood staring in fascinated horror at what her eyes beheld. She saw Abigail's quilts neatly folded, one on top of the other, as they had been the last time she looked at them. But the beautiful coverlets, which had been the pride of the dead woman's heart, were now cut through every fold, as though sharp shears had slashed them. 
stay tuned to the end of the show for a preview to next week's episode. Hey everyone, I'm Valerie Moss, and I'm the narrator for this mystery book, Project EF, as well as producer and director. You can find me at valeriemoss.ca and check out my podcast, Valerie's Variety Podcast. The show is about eating, reading, and creating. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Here's the cast of characters for today's show. Hi, my name is Angel Black. I am from the Central Valley here in California, and you can find me at the podcast Creepily Ever After. I will be playing the characters of Mrs. Pruitt, Nancy Turner, Pennsylvania Woman, and Martha Shook. Hi, my name is Carol Sin. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. I will be the voice of Miss Ann Tomlinson. You can find me at carolsin.wordpress.com. You can also find me on YouTube and Instagram as Carol Sin. Hi, my name is Kylie and I'm playing the role of Judith. You can find me in my new podcast called Cryptic Soup, streaming now. You can also connect with me on my website, kingmarketingbykylie.com and on my Instagram, at kmorgan with two A's. Hello, my name is Linda Moss, and I was on my mom's podcast, Valerie's Variety Podcast. We did a few episodes together of London and Mum. Anyway, I did Thorn, a.k.a. Cricket, on Project DF, not known as I'm not telling the real name. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you like listening. Bye. Hey, everybody. My name is Rafe Telsch. I'm from Roanoke, Virginia in the United States. And I am the voice of Richard Tomlinson. You can find me on the podcast, Have Not Seen This. Hi, my name is Rain, like the weather, and I will, will be playing the role of Abigail. Uh, I have a YouTube page called WWE What If, where I talk about wrestling reviews and my anger against some storylines that I can't stand. Music for this show is by Text Me Records and Leviath, called The Black Cat. Cover art image by Danny Muller. Podcast trailer and cover art designed by me, Valerie Moss. Here's a preview for next week's show. But I think you should talk to her about what happened this afternoon. After all, she used to be with a carnival show. No doubt she learned strange tricks with her voice as well as her hands. When he had finished, she said, I swear to you, Richard. I don't know how the dog got there. But if Abigail saw it, she probably died believing that I murdered her. She paused, as though reliving the darkest hour of her short life. I wanted to die, but I couldn't. I wanted to run away. There was just no place to go. Disclaimer. Margaret Eckhard is the author of this book. The audio drama is based off of copyright 1941 by Doubleday Publishing House, now owned by Penguin Random House, who only supports current authors who checked all available resources and directories for literary rights agents and contacts and found nothing. We tried to track down errors of Eckhart's, but to no avail. We reached out to the Indiana Library, who houses the largest amount of articles of Margaret Eckhart. They provided us with a renewal ID, R579915, and had consulted directories for her heirs and contacts. 
however, found nothing beyond Doubleday Publishing House, which was a dead end. We searched extensively for the copyright holders of this book to get permission to make the audio drama, but were unable to find them. And if anyone has any information about the copyright for the book or the rights holders, please reach out to me.